Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you today. Uh, take your Bible, if you have it with you, and turn to Philippians chapter 1, if you would. I guess if, uh, if you're a, a person who's, who's looking for proof that one person can change the world, that one person can make a difference, then look no further than Martin Luther King, Jr., and the impact that one man had on on our country. Somewhere along the line, this this Baptist minister must have had a Popeye moment. Remember we talked about that? <laughs> Where he said to himself, I can't stand it. I can't stand it no more. Something has got to change. This is not what God intended for this country. This separation, this place where people are judged by the color of their skin instead of the content of their character, said, i got to do something about it. This, you know, separate drinking fountains, separate restrooms, whites-only lunch counters. And he said, no matter what it takes, you can turn the police dogs loose on us, you can turn the fire hoses at us, it doesn't matter. We're deeply committed to this cause of racial equality in this country and through nonviolent protests, that's important, nonviolent protests, this man led a movement that has changed our country. And you can say what you want about Martin Luther King Jr., but one thing you can't deny is here was a guy who was totally, completely committed to his cause. And it changed things. Well, today we are engaged in reading a letter written by a man who was also totally and completely committed to his cause. And his name was Paul, and he wrote the letter to the Philippians in the New Testament. And we're in week two of a study of this awesome, hopefully life-changing letter. Today we're going to take a look at how a sold-out Christian, okay, a deeply Devoted, surrendered, committed Christian looks at difficult circumstances and problems and obstacles in their life. I invite you to take the notes out of your study guide so you can follow along with us. Last week I gave you the entire sermon in a single sentence. Do you remember that? In hopes that you might remember it a few hours at least beyond the, the message. And I want to do that again today to summarize the whole message this morning in a sentence. And here it is. When you decide to devote your whole life to Jesus Christ and to his cause, that changes everything. That's the message. Let's pray. No, no i got a few things I want to elaborate on. When you decide, say this with me, When you decide to devote your whole life to Jesus and his cause, that changes everything. It certainly changed everything for Martin Luther King Jr. It changed everything for Paul. And it will change everything in your life and in my life. Now the passage we're going to look at today, uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 30, And don't get nervous, it goes pretty quick, okay? Um, 
It's only going to make sense if we understand what was going on with Paul at that particular time. And we mentioned last week that Paul wrote this while he was in prison in Rome. And do you remember his crime? His crime was really preaching the gospel in the Roman Empire at a time when Caesar was demanding total allegiance to himself. And here comes this man onto the landscape and he's preaching a message that says, actually, Jesus Christ is the only one who deserves your total and complete allegiance. And that was frowned upon by the authorities and so he found himself in in prison, in custody. He was uh, basically under house arrest there in Rome, probably in the imperial palace. He was awaiting the possible opportunity to plead his case before Caesar himself, the most powerful man in the world. And while he was in prison there, he was chained to a guard. Every four hours, the guard would rotate. A new Roman guard would be uh, chained to him. And while he was there, he dictates this letter to this beloved church whom he loved, the church at Philippi. And that's what Philippians is. It's a letter. So really, we're when we're studying the book of Philippians, we're reading someone else's mail. Okay? But it's okay. It's okay. God intended that. So this morning we're going to get to see how a sold-out Christian views difficult circumstances. Because that's what Paul was in. And as I read through this passage, I saw six things that are true of someone like that. Six signs that you're a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ and His cause. Number one, when you're sold out to Jesus... You stop whining about adversity and you start looking around for how God might use it to advance the cause. Notice verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, he writes, that what has happened to me, all that imprisonment and so forth, has really served to what? To advance the gospel. Will you underline that phrase? To advance the gospel. That's that mission that we talked about last week. As a result of my imprisonment, he says, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ, that I'm being imprisoned because of my stand for Jesus Christ. Now, when you think about this, you realize Paul could have whined, couldn't he? I mean, think about it. He could have said, you know, Lord, I'm out there preaching the gospel, the message that you called me to preach, I'm out there starting new churches. I'm out there building up believers. I'm out there winning people to Christ. And now you're allowing me to be imprisoned and shut all that down? What is with that? Weren't you the one, God, who said, you work all things for good to those that love you and are called according to His purpose? I mean, I don't know how you would have responded in His circumstances, but I might have I can see myself kind of whining a little bit, you know. What's going on here? What's with this? I'm serving you with all I've got. And now you let this happen to me? And who knows, maybe he did have his little season of whining and just didn't tell us about it. (laughs) Maybe he did that and kind of got all that out of his system. But he apparently got to the point where he said, okay, this is where I find myself. I'm not really wild about it. It doesn't doesn't feel fair, but here I am, and because I believe in a sovereign, almighty God, I'm going to start looking around 
and just seeing how God might want to use me to advance his cause, the gospel. And so he looks around and the first thing he sees is this stubbly-faced Roman soldier that he's chained to. And so he says, well, all right. Hey there, Maximus, Gluteus, whatever. (laughs) Have you ever stopped to think about the spiritual side of your life? Where you might spend eternity? I've got this wonderful four-hour seminar that will open up the whole thing to you. And since you're not going anywhere and I'm not going anywhere soon, why don't you just sit tight and let me talk to you about it? And that's what he did. Every four hours, a new guard comes in. So basically what you have is the captive having a captive audience for his four-hour seminar. And that's why he could say in verse 13, hey, the whole palace guard knows that I'm in chains for Christ. His deep level devotion to Jesus allowed him to turn adversity into advancement of the cause. I wonder about us sometimes. When the wheels start coming off, when things start going south, when things take a turn that you didn't expect, when other people are making decisions that affect your life and you don't like it, how are you known to respond? Moaning and groaning and whining and complaining. Got an email from a family this week. I was so proud of them. They said, um, we just got the wind knocked out of us. They were blindsided by something that would, would knock anyone off their feet. And they wrote and they said, this is hard. It's really, really hard. But they said, we know the Lord. And we believe, if we choose to believe that everything that comes into our lives has first passed through the hands of a loving and good God. And so we're kind of looking around to see, you know, what good might God might want to do through this situation that we're in that is very, very difficult. And maybe how God might want to use us to just spread his love a little bit. That takes maturity, doesn't it? It's a lot easier to just whine and complain, and moan, and groan about what's happening to us. And yet when you're sold out to Jesus and His cause, you find yourself looking around saying, okay, you know, this isn't pleasant, but maybe God's going to use this somehow. That's the first sign of a sold out Christ follower. Well, Paul continues in verse 14 and he says, because of my chains... Most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So here's the second sign. Number two, when you're sold out to Jesus and his cause, you feel blessed that God would use you to motivate others to commit to the cause. You feel blessed that God would use your life to inspire other people to get in the game. And that's what was happening with Paul. Apparently... The believers in that region there heard that Paul was imprisoned. And a number of them said to themselves, well, uh, wow, our star player is out of the game. I guess we better step up. I guess we better get in the game. And they were emboldened, it says, encouraged to speak the word of God more clearly because they figured we better take up the slack here. Paul's out of commission. And we don't want the the cause to suffer. We see this a lot in sports, don't we? 
Happened last weekend to the Bengals, didn't it? Star player sustains an injury or gets sick or something and has to be you know, taken off the field. And what happens? The coach has to look down the bench and say, uh, hey, you, get your helmet on. You're going in the game. And sometimes that replacement will step into the game and elevate his game a notch and say, man, the team's counting on me. I better, I better give it all I've got. I better perform to the maximum level of my ability because the team's counting on me. I better step it up. Last summer, our, our senior pastor here at this church for 20 years was making a, a, a decision, a shift that would basically pull him out of the, the day-to-day responsibilities here at this church. And I remember at one point in that process, he, he looked at me with very serious eyes and he said, uh, are you ready? Get your helmet on. And I said something really spiritual like, are you crazy? <laughs> Yikes! I didn't know what else to do but to turn to the people on our team and look at them and say, you know what, I'm taking a step up for the cause. I need you to take a step up too. And they have. And I really think that if if God is going to accomplish everything that he, He wants to accomplish through that whole thing, that every single one of us needs to take a step up. Not just me, not just our staff. That means if you've been a a sporadic attender, you know, you come kind of occasionally when you feel like it. Taking a step up would be becoming a regular attender at weekend worship, making that a priority in your schedule every week. I need to gather with God's people and worship. If you're a regular attender, taking one step up would mean becoming a member here, taking our Discover New Life class and finding out what membership's all about and getting into the game. Or if you're already a member, it might be examining that that commitment that you've made in membership to to serve in a ministry somewhere, to get connected to a small group and just ask, am I really doing that? Am I fulfilling that commitment in this body? If you're doing all that, taking one step up might mean becoming an apprentice leader in a small group or a ministry team. Or if you've been an apprentice for a while, to step up into a leader role or a leader into a coaching role. Do you see what I mean? Everybody takes one step up, kind of like that Verizon commercial where that guy takes a step and everybody takes a step. (laughs) I take a step, all of us take one step. One of the opportunities you're going to have coming up in the next six weeks or so is to to step up and get in the game is to host a 40 Days of Purpose group in your home. We believe that God wants to start a hundred of those. So what does that mean? Well, how many of you have a, a VCR or a DVD player? Okay. How many of you know how to use it? How to? Okay. How many of you have a couch that somebody could sit on? That's it. Beanbag chair, something. Okay. Roof over your head. That's really what it takes. We've got an awesome video that has six sessions that helps people discover their purpose in life. And if you would say, I'll open up my home and let people come in and sit on my couch under my roof and I'll put a video cassette in and hit the play button, you can do this. You can step up. The point of all this is it's such a blessing when you feel God using you to inspire other people to get in the game. And that's what was happening 
with Paul in that setting. I kind of got off a little bit, didn't I? All right. Come back here. The, this next uh, next one is an interesting one. Oh, back to that last point. For a hundred new groups to start from this group, this service, probably 40 to 50 people would need to step up and say, I will do that. I'll open up my home. Uh, beginning next week, there will be a Grand Central Station out in the lobby where you can sign up for that and, and find out what's involved. All right, next one's an interesting one. Paul is talking about these other Christians who'd stepped up, who'd gotten into the game. And here's what he observed, verse 15. He says, It is true that some of them preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Maybe he wasn't wild about that. But others are preaching Christ out of goodwill. The latter group does so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former group preaches Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? Would you underline that phrase? What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Don't miss this. Number three. When you're really sold out to Jesus and His cause, you start rejoicing that despite other differences you might have, religious rivals rivals are really allies if they're promoting the cause. I don't know if I'm uh, growing in this area in my life. I hope so. I'd like to think so. Or if I'm just getting so old that I don't have the energy that I used to have. But I don't expend much time and energy these days criticizing other Christians and other churches that don't do things exactly the way we do things here. I just don't do much of that anymore. I used to. I mean, my view is like, like his. Look, if they are preaching the gospel, that's the, the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for our sins, that message then they're my teammates. They are allies in the battle against darkness. Someone might say, well, but what about them Baptocostopalians over there? They got some strange people over there. What about that first church of the Nazbaterians of the latter days? There's some crazy stuff over there. Shouldn't we be speaking out against them? Not if they're preaching the gospel, the same gospel that Paul preached. For too often in Christendom, we've been shooting at our own teammates, shooting at our own allies. You know, it's kind of a spirit of arrogance to say everybody's got to worship exactly the way we do and do everything just exactly the way we do. Now, I think it's good to have distinctives as a church, to have here's what we believe. Here are the convictions that we've formed about these certain gray area issues. I think that's healthy. But can't there be a lot of variety in the body of Christ? Does everybody have to be carbon copies of everybody else? I think Paul said, hey, 
I'm not wild about their motives. Maybe some of the things they're saying, but they're preaching the gospel, and I rejoice in that. I rejoice in it. They're my allies. They're my teammates. A mature follower of Christ can see the bigger picture of the cause of the kingdom and says, man, let's, let's just keep the message spreading. All right, here's the next sign of a sold-out person. Number four, when you're sold out to Jesus and his cause, you deeply desire that your life will exalt Christ and inspire others to live for his cause no matter what. Now, this is kind of a, a longer section here. I'm going to read it. Just stay with me because it's, it's got important stuff in it, beginning with verse 18, second half. Yes, he says, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, you might want to circle that, your prayers, and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, he's anticipating the opportunity to stand before Caesar himself and plead his case, okay? So that's what he's thinking about here. And then verse 21, for me to live is what? Is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I do desire to to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Would you underline that? (laughs) Which is better. But it's more necessary for you, you Philippians, that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Say, what's this all about? I think Paul is doing here what many of us would do in his situation. He was playing out in his mind the possible scenarios of what might happen to him. Okay, He was walking down each of those roads mentally and trying to just discern how he would feel about that. And there were two possible outcomes of this, this appeal before Caesar. One was death. The other was deliverance. You know, it's very, he realized it's very possible if I stand before Caesar and say, um, Sir, whatever you say to Caesar, um, I will not stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and calling people to give their allegiance to him. And Caesar could go, Okay, <laughs> curtains for you, buddy. And that's it. Or, through the work of God or whatever, he could be acquitted, he could be released. And so he. He thinks about those things. And which would I prefer? I mean, if the choice were mine, would I rather this and would I rather this and I'm torn? That's what he's doing here. And as he records his thoughts, I see several things that, re- that are revealing about Paul. First, it's obvious that he believes in the power of prayer. How many of you believe in the power of prayer? How many of you pray like you believe in the power of prayer? Good. Paul said, I, I think your prayers are going to get me delivered, Philippians. Keep praying. Second, he reveals that he truly wants to be courageous when he stands before Caesar. 
He wants to give a strong testimony for Christ without being intimidated. And that would be pretty intimidating, wouldn't it? To stand before the absolute most powerful man in the world who just has to speak a couple words and your life is, your history. He said, I, I want to be strong, even in that setting. Third, he says, you know what? If, if execution does turn out to be my fate, I don't fear it because death will usher me into the presence of Jesus, which is better. Can I say something to you? Please, 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 please. Do not leave your loved ones wondering about where you are after you depart from this earth. Just this week in our church family, there were a couple of uh, folks in our church had loved ones who went on to be with God. And in both cases, it was awesome because they were saying, we know (laughs) that person gave clear testimony, gave clear evidence that they were saved and we believe they're with Christ. If you don't get saved for any other reason, and there's a lot of reasons to get saved, get saved so that you don't leave your loved ones wondering when they're looking down at your casket where you are. You do not want that. You do not want to leave them in that position. You want them going, yes. (laughs) It hurts. They're gone. We grieve their loss. But they've departed and they're with Christ, no doubt about it. Get saved. Trust Jesus Christ with your life. Invite Him in to take away your sins. Be your Savior. Paul said, you know, if I die, I'm going to go be with Christ. And that's better. Then he thought, you know, if, if somehow I get released, I plan to continue doing exactly what I was doing. The thing, the very thing that got me thrown in jail in the first place, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep ministering. He was pretty convinced that God wasn't done with him on the earth. But this last thing, he kind of summed up what he was all about when he said, you know what, at the end of the day, what it's really all about for me is Jesus. For me to live is Christ. For me to live my life It's about knowing Jesus, trying to follow Jesus, loving Jesus, worshiping Jesus, serving Jesus. That's what my life is about. Whether I live or whether I die, my life is about exalting Jesus Christ. For me to live is Christ. And I wonder how you and I would complete that sentence today. For me to live is what? We're going to come back to that in in a few minutes. You see, when you make the choice to sell out to Jesus and his cause, that changes everything. Your outlook, your values, your attitudes, what's important to you, it even changes how you view living and dying. A fifth sign of a sold-out follower of Jesus is found in verse 27 and 28. Paul says, you know, Philippians, whatever happens, whatever happens to me, Either way, you conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, 
Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man, united, unified, one man, for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened or intimidated in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Sign number five, you urge, you find that you're urging fellow believers to get united around the cause and not let opponents intimidate them into silence. Paul says these people, don't let the opponents of the gospel intimidate you into silence. I think he would say, I'm not. I'm here in prison and I'm, I'm not letting them intimidate me. Wouldn't it be awesome if we did this? Wouldn't it be awesome if at Gehanna Lincoln High School, the students who know Christ, from all, ch- all churches that are preaching the gospel, if they came together and encouraged one another and, and strengthened one another and prayed for one another and just came together and said, let's pray about how, how we can spread Christ's love into our high school. And maybe that's happening. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing? Wouldn't it be great if at your workplace, your office, the the Christians, the believers, the Christ followers got together and came together and and prayed for each other. Maybe, you know, at noon on a Wednesday, once a week, just came together to read some scripture and encourage each other and, and pray for the office and pray that God would spread his message throughout that office. Wouldn't that be cool? United around the cause, spreading the gospel. But for that to happen... Somebody's got to initiate it, right? Somebody's got to be the catalyst. Somebody's got to step forward and say, okay, God put this on my heart. I'm going to be the gatherer here. I'm going to pull this together. And usually that person is a person who is sold out to Jesus and his cause. And they realize, I'm not just at this office to work and earn a paycheck. I'm here to establish a beachhead for the gospel of Christ that it can spread outward from here. The final sign of a sold-out Christ follower is this, number six. You begin to view suffering for Jesus and his cause as a privilege and a high calling. Verse 29, Paul says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to what? To suffer for him. Did we read that right? (laughs) This is a gift from God, not just a gift of faith to believe in Him, but to suffer for Him. You know, that day is probably coming for Christ followers here in the United States. I don't know when. Not only to believe on Him, but to suffer for Him, since you are going through the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. We don't do a lot of uh, movie recommending from the platform here. There's a movie coming out shortly that I I do want to recommend to you. I hope you'll go see it. It's called The End of the Spear. Heard of it? They heard of it? It's, um, It's based on a true story that took place 50 years ago. It's the 50th anniversary of this event. And, uh... I got to see an advanced showing of it this past fall. And although I already knew the story, I'd read the books, 
There was something about seeing it depicted on screen that just moved me. It's the story of five young families who decided, because of their commitment to the cause of Christ, that they were going to leave the United States, they were going to move away from the comforts that this country offers, move to the jungles of South America in an attempt to make contact with a very remote, very primitive, very violent tribe known as the Alka Indians. If you've ever heard of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot or Nate Saint, this is their story. This movie tells their story. It's called The End of the Spear. And I will not ruin the movie for you by telling you the whole plot and storyline. But I want, you to, I want to tell you that I was so impressed and moved by the depth of commitment of these 20-something couples and what they did in an attempt to reach this tribe with the gospel. I mean, they, they literally put their lives on the line to spread the gospel. Interestingly enough, um, later, other people who heard about what they had tried to do committed themselves to going down to that same tribe, and more came, and more came, missionaries, and eventually that tribe was reached with the gospel of Christ, and a number of those tribes people got saved. And then there was this ripple effect, because this story got told through newspapers and magazines and in Bible colleges and chapels and churches, and since that time, thousands and thousands of young men and women have said, look, if those people can go do that, certainly I can give my life to Christ and His cause too. Let me just say that that you just don't know. If you gave your life totally to Christ, you don't know how He might use you to make an impact in the world. You just don't know. It was Jim Elliott who recorded in his journal this now famous phrase, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Or, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. How, how would you complete that sentence today? I have to think about, you know, The thing about preaching is you get preached to during the week first by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit says, Steve, how would you complete that sentence? For me to live is what? What am I all about? For me to live is ease. I really want an easy life. For me to live is convenience. For me to live is pleasure. For me to live is football. For me to live, what would you put in there? For you, honestly. For me to live is food, for me to live is hobbies, for me to live is sex, for me to live is pleasure, for me to live is achievement, or for me to live is Christ. Let me tell you, the joy doesn't really start flowing into your life as a Christ follower until you get to that point where you say, Jesus, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything, my life is in your hands, I'm yours. No strings attached. I am yours. And I know that when I talk about, you know, surrendering your life to Jesus like that, 
Maybe you feel like a, like a base jumper, you know, standing on that rock, peering over the ledge, thinking, you know, I'm going to leave safety and security and everything that's familiar and everything I know behind, and I'm going to leap out. Is anything going to be there? And maybe it does feel like that to you. But I'll tell you this. Unless you leap out, you will never discover that underneath are the everlasting arms and that he will carry you. He will carry you. You want to get to the end of your life and say, well, I pretty much played it safe my whole life and I was comfortable and had a life of ease. Is that what you want to be able to say at the end of your life? I don't. For me to live is Christ. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and just take a few moments, would you, to reflect on what we've, what we've talked about this morning. The team's going to come back up and Sean's going to sing a great song here in just a few moments. But I want to talk to just you for a few minutes here. If you would just quietly before the Lord think about this. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. And here's a question for you. How many of you would say, okay, Steve, what God's saying to me today is that I need to take that one step up that you talked about. I I can do that. I'm there. I feel that tug of the Spirit of God. I, I do. I need to take one step up. That's what God's telling me to do today. And I'm willing to do that. Would you lift your hands up all around the room? I'm willing to take that one step up you talked about. Praise God. Many, many, many of you. Praise God. Thank you. You can put your hands down. I think there's a few of you who what what you're saying today is you're saying, Steve, to be honest, I've been holding out on God. God's going God's been talking to me for a while about this, and to be honest, Steve, I've been holding out on him for whatever reason. I've been standing on that ledge. I haven't wanted to leave safety and security. I haven't wanted to say it. Wanted to say to God, you know, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'm yours. But today you're saying, I'm holding out on God no more. No more. Today I'm offering my whole life to God by faith so that from now on, by God's grace, for me to live is Christ. Is that you today? I think there's got to be a few in the room. Would you lift your hand if that's you? Today. I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten hands. Eleven. Today, I'm not going to hold out on God any longer. He's been talking to me about this long enough. It's time to give my whole life to Jesus. Everything I know about me to everything I understand of Him. By His grace. Anybody else? Thank you. I see that over there. Three or four more. Thank you back there. John's going to sing this song about offering your life to God. And I felt today that I shouldn't make it easy for you. everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, those of you who just raised your hands, you meant that. While Sean's singing, I'm going to ask you to just come. 
Get out of your seat. Come. Shake my hand. Just tell me. I'm not going to hold out on God any longer. It's going to change today. I'll say a few words to you and let you go back to your seat. And if you meant it, I invite you to do that right now. I think you need to do this. Father, you gave us your best, Lord. You didn't give us the scraps. You didn't give us the leftovers. You gave us your very best, the only begotten Son of God. Your best. Lord, it only makes sense that in response we give our entire lives back to you. Lord, may today be a defining moment in many people's lives. May we cut the strings that we've had attached. Lord, may we lift the conditions of our commitment to you and surrender. Lord, take that leap and and know that underneath are the everlasting arms. God, I pray that you'd use each of these folks beyond their wildest dreams for you. And God, we know that the joy really starts flowing when we surrender our lives to you. And may that happen. And may we give you much praise in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And let's do that. Let's give God praise today, can we?